My first music video ever. I was 18 years old and I was an extra for Eric B and Rakim. Don't sweat the technique. You don't know this, you, bro. Look at you, man. <laughs> what the what? Get the F out of here, bro. Yo. One day, right, we in Jersey. East Orange. I remember it clearly. The crack house was in the back. Then we had like the basketball court with the one chain. And of course, you already know we got the pit bulls out there. Yeah. Welcome to the Booger basement. You feel me? This is like when my dad kicked me out of the church because he found out like I was going to the club and him being a minister was like, you can't serve two masters at once. You got to choose one. So my uncle took me in. So one night I fall asleep and I wake up to the TV and it's Spud McKenzie, a dog with one patch. This dog was so famous. I jumped out of the bed and I, I went outside and I said, ain't no way we ain't going to be successful in America if a one-eyed dog can be successful. Oh, we on our way. I get in, in the hoopty and I go down to Newark and I go to the livestock place because if the dog can become successful i can get a cow and then this cow gonna be a mascot for the fujis i got a plan i had to have a plan i saw p diddy he had the diaper on he was promoting biggie what's my plan i go to this livestock spot and i'm like yo do you got a cow he shows me this cow it's a big ass cow. Maybe my memory is jotting me wrong. But when I was little, I don't remember the cow being that big. I said, bro, do you got anything smaller? This is true story. He brings me in a room. I see something white. And I said, that's what I want. What is that? He said, that's a rare Mexican goat. I found my mascot. This is what it's going to be. So take the goat. And now I'm driving and it's me and the goat. True story. We in the hoopty. I get back to the hood. Dudes are playing ball. And I'm like, yo, y'all ain't going to believe what I got in the car. And I open the car and dudes back. The, what the fuck is that? I'm like, easy, bro. This is a rare Mexican goat. I go ahead and I take the goat into the basement. Now my aunt can smell the smell of the goat. So my aunt is coming running down the stairs. So now I take the goat and I'm running with the goat trying to get the goat into the garage. Translation, what is this smell I'm smelling? I'm smelling. We like, yo, we don't know. It might be a skunk from outside or something. That night, the Fuji's got a big concert in New York City. Can you imagine? This is gonna be our first concert ever in New York. They're about to see us. And my whole thinking was like, if Spud McKenzie could be famous, 
the Fuji's is gonna be famous because this goat is gonna take us to where we need to go. Now, I gotta transport the goat over to New York. And at this point, everybody thinks I'm out of my mind. But if anybody knows the story of Rome, you will understand that when the Caesar is out of his mind, it's not a good time to speak to him. The Senate could convey on the side on how they're going to stab Brutus as long as Brutus doesn't know. And this was me, the mad Caesar. I told my man like, yo, I need you to put this goat in your car. And I remember what he said, bro, I ain't put no fucking stinking ass goat in this car, man. You done lose your fucking mind. I'm like, yeah, you can say that now, but I really want you to think about what you saying, because when I'm at the Grammys, keep in mind, we we dirt poor. We don't got no Grammys, no nothing. This 94. All I got is a vision. I saw Spud McKenzie. I said, when I'm at the Grammys. And I'm getting my award and I'm thanking everybody. You're going to be right here, right here where you standing at. And you're going to be like, damn, man, if I had put this goat in a joint with Clef and went to New York, he would have mentioned me at the Grammys. That's what you're going to be saying. So my man like, all right, fuck it, man. Let's get the goat in the car. He puts the goat in this car. The Fuji's is headed to New York City to be continued. What's up, y'all? This your boy, Wyclef Jean Salute, and I stand with the Milwaukee Bucks. Black Lives Matter. Now, let's get into it. Run that back. Okay, everybody, I'm here with my twin brother. Literally, this guy is my younger brother. Breaking news. Will I am. <laughs> what up, Ma'am. my blood? What up, Clef? What, what do you say? Eat? When I go home... When I go home to my family, uh-huh. I look like I look more like your family than I do like my family. Uh, once again, like I, I had to start like that because <laughs> Sadek and you literally look the same. You know what I mean? I remember when we was on 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 the Smoking Goose tour, our first tour uh-huh. ever. Uh huh. Our first tour ever, like it was 1998. Yeah. We were opening up for like. Nobody. I mean, no, there was no one in the audience when we were. When we Yo, went you on know, the road. you know what I remember? The studio hit factory before yeah. Fergie was in the group. Um, yeah, that was 1999 After the tour, but you, you guys were so beast, Sherman. Your whole like Sherman, everybody in your camp, Sadek, Milky, everybody yeah. was so kind to us. They were so nice to us, like. For our first tour to be that, that like, that beautiful where people were like, they saw what we were capable of doing, they saw the talent, and you guys treated us like family. So, yo, so because thank you so much for that. Def, your family is that Haitian hospitality. So, Will, I gotta tell you first of all, how much I respect you, and how much I love you as a brother, first of all. I think, <clears throat> When we move so fast, man, in our hemisphere, like we never have time to take a second out, right? Hopefully when things get better, we can get into it. 
the physicality and I look forward to being in a room with you, man, and tearing it apart. You know what I'm saying? Man, so I would love to. I think, you know, the the, the feeling is, is mutual, like like a person to person, you're older than me, you're like a big brother. But just in career wise, like the Fuji's are before us and you there's, there's footsteps that were there that was like, oh okay, do it like this. And so when we first got signed um, in 1997 to Interscope, we did our first album. We went on tour on the Smoking Grooves, and Jimmy, Jimmy comes back. I come back from tour. I sit with Jimmy, and he says, "All right, now you got to turn in the score." I'm like, "The score? <laughs> What do you mean? You know, Black Eyed Peas record. The first album was a great setup, and now you got to turn in the score." Like, you sound just like Jimmy Iovine. <laughs> I'm like, what type of like, how do you do that to somebody? How do you tell somebody to, how do you tell somebody to try to accomplish something that is literally impossible? Like, turn in the score. Like, you know, killing me softly. All these songs, like, oh my God. Okay. Let me, let me do my homework. Like, yeah. because as a, the first album was like, oh man, I love Trap Call Quest. I love De La Soul. Let me, let me get all my vibes. Let me go hunt for like, you know, obscure samples and like, let me learn how to work this NPC and produce. And, and, you know, we did our version of our favorite types of hip hop songs. Yeah. Then when he said turn in the score, I'm like, oh, these songs played all over the radio, Jimmy. Like, it's a totally different way to, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I was like, those songs aren't, that's not commercial music. It just became commercial. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if, if the score didn't, Jimmy broke it down. He was like, if the score wasn't like, you know, Grammy nominated and all these types of things, you would have looked at it just the way you looked at De La Soul was dead. It's a, it's a classic hip hop record. Forget about how much it sold. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Because a lot of artists, for some reason, like, when something becomes super successful, the hip-hop community at that point in time didn't want to compete with that particular, you know, style. They yeah. stayed underground. And underground was the only, was the, was the, was like a, a path of like assured, comfortable, success and no one yeah. really truly aims to compete with the score so when i when i when i uh started listening and like okay okay these kind of song structures okay well this this motherfucker plays the guitar though i mean yeah i look like this dude but like he really i seen him on tour Wyclef's i dance like my my thing is like i rap and dance like this motherfucker plays the guitar and everywhere <laughs> <laughs> everywhere I went on, everywhere we went on tour, like when you're when you're opening act, you have the luxuries of like going and hanging out with the audience. So when I, after we would open up and there would be like 20 people in the audience and like a 6,000, 10,000 seater, it'd be like 100 people, sometimes 300. If we had 300 people in the audience, we'd be like, yo, we rocked. Oh yeah, 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 you killing it. <laughs> we rocked it. We had 300 people uh, that, that that were there for us. And Joints and Jams is pretty big, right? But when we wrote Joints and Jams, we were not trying to be on the radio. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like, yo, let's 
this aim at the radio, like aiming. And so that tour, someone please call 911. I'm like, yo, this dude's writing songs. Mm-hmm. Because the rapper in me just wanted to like to annihilate other rappers. Like, ooh, yeah, I got yeah, this metaphor, yeah. I got this punchline. So you spend all your energy with similes, metaphors, punchlines, yeah. and quotables that you forget about the song that you're supposed to be writing. Facts. Preach. For me as a person, like when you go out there, out there in the audience, and everybody says, Wyclef! And I'm like, no, I'm not Wyclef. I'm, I'm, I'm Will. I'm a different... But so... But I... And, and, and one person could be like... Fuck that! I'm not. I'm not that nigga. <laughs> like I'm not him. <laughs> but to me, that told me what I needed to do. It told me like if I look like him, then I can't. I have to. You can't help who you look like. I just. I look like the guy. But I could help how I write like. So when Jimmy said do the score, I had to take that with an open mind because a part of me was like. Do you understand how many motherfuckers call me Wyclef Jimmy? Now you telling me to make the score? <laughs> you understand, bro? Like, what the fuck? You're insulting me. <laughs> you, you can take that as an insult, right? So, so I was like, but I understood what he was talking about. I knew what he was saying. Was talking about. So for me, I was like, okay, I gotta put my, I have to hop in the matrix and figure out the architecture of what he means. And it's and then so long story short, you were a big brother in my career as far as like study and to my myself is like okay I have to my hurdle is for people to see me as Will because unfortunately they call me Wyclef and the moment <laughs> that the people they see. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like a, it's a real thing. Like face that, off, a hurdle man. for John me. Travolta movie. <laughs> face off. Because it, it's, it's never really. Ha- I mean, out of all the people in the music history, it's never. I'm trying to think of like, like Little Richard was Little Richard. You know, and uh, yeah, there's no, not that many people point, that I look. Think we barely, we ba- there, there's barely like two people that look alike. Like we could barely. There's nothing, the- right? Unless they're like a family group. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like, I'm thinking of like, when does this happen in history? When does this happen in history where two people that look like, they name start with W's? <laughs> yo, yo, let me tell you what's crazy about that, right? Is I'll even go a step deeper than you. So, with Jimmy Iveen, who I consider one of my greatest mentors, right? And uh, David Sonnenberg. What was, what I loved about Jimmy was whenever he came to me, he literally would talk to me like, I know you can get it done. Like, I'm not telling you anything that I know you can't, you can't do. This is before I even do it. You know what I mean? He's like, mm-hmm. I know you could put it together. So for me, I really think that we're, from the same school. So I'm going to tell you something deep you might not know. The Fuji's first contract ever, we were signed to Cool in the Gang, La Jam. We were signed to Cool in the Gang, right? 
LeGem. And the person, yeah, your eyes went up, right? So the person, we're going to talk about it. So the person we were signed to was Khalees Bayan, Cool's brother. Now, he the one that did Jungle Boogie, Jungle Boogie, all of those records that even like Puff sampled, you know, Hollywood Swingin'. That mm-hmm. is my first mentor. So can you imagine I'm a little dude in the studio and this is my mentor and they're doing blunted on reality and blunted on reality being I came from a battle rap era. All I wanted to do was outbar everybody. So it was like to your point, like how many bars I'm going to get. Right. But the, the thing was, my dad was a minister, so I had no choice. Every Sunday I had to be in church. And in church was where, you know, I became the head of the choir. And, you know, my dad put a church in the hood. And the thing is, when I'm hearing my story, like, with LeJam being my first signing, your first signing was Easy e Yeah. So, yeah, you got to break that down to me because I just told you, like, my first signing, we were signing Cool in the Gang. And I, at times I felt like, even though I knew what I wanted to do, it was intimidating to like, you know, I could have an idea, but I don't even try it till I go back to the hood. So when I'm in the studio with them, it's like I felt like, man, this is cool in the gang. What the hell am I going to tell them? How was your experience with Easy e man? So I'm from the projects in East L.A., so um, which is an all Mexican neighborhood. We were like one of the only black families and uh, it was just gangs, like cholo gangs, like Mexican gangs. <clears throat> and they have a different like gang architecture that is uh, political and very organized. <clears throat> and uh, being creative was my past. Like fucking Willie, dog, you look different, homes. Like, 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 I talk like this, like when I was like from seven, not even seven, like when I first started to talk, like, like I talk like a, like a straight up cholo, dog, like a, like a Chicano, homes. So I started freestyling. There's this group called, um, <clears throat> Crazy Town. His name is Shifty Seth Benzer. He had that song, Come My Lady, Come Come My Lady. Yeah. You're my butterfly, sugar, baby. So he used to pick me up from the hood because I went to all white school. So, Raised in an all-Mexican neighborhood, went to an all-white school in Brentwood Palisades. And there were some black folks that came to our school that were bust out too. And my black friends were like, Will, you different. Nigga, why you talk like that? Like, talk like what? Nigga, you talk like a Mexican. <laughs> nigga, you crazy. Why you dress like that? How come you always come to school in suits, nigga? Like, oh, because my mom, my mom don't want me to have uh, play clothes in school. So I had to go to school in suits. So... There's this guy named Seth that used to pick me up from the hood to take me to this club called Ballistics because it was a rap contest that Bud Bundy from Married with Children used to throw. And Leonardo DiCaprio went to that club. Um, Angelina Jolie. A lot of people used to go to that club. It was an underage club in Hollywood. Brian Austin Green from Nato 210. Punky Brewster. Um, uh, you know, everybody went to that club. And there was a rap contest, and I won that. I won the rap contest, like, just freestyling, annihilating folks for, like, a year and a half, every Thursday. Yeah. And so Easy 
Ruthless Records started changing. Like Ice Cube left, Dre left. So Easy, the businessman that he was, the entrepreneur that he was, went out and tried to get new talent to be at Ruthless. So he signed me at 16. I got signed to Ruthless at 16 years old. He'd be like, nigga, you crazy, nigga. Freestyle, nigga. Show these niggas. <laughs> so I would, I would just, just go off the head. Yeah. I would like go off the head and just like smash it. <clears throat> he was like, this nigga crazy. This nigga dope. Um, uh, do you write? And at the time I wasn't really writing. Yeah. He was like, well, record your freestyles. And, uh, there's this other group. I got my two friends, Pat and Jim Bob. And we, we gonna start. I was like, what's the name of your group? They're like, we don't got a name of a group. I was like, where y'all from? They was like, we from Watts. I was like, why don't you call yourself 100 Watts? And Easy was like, nigga, that's dope. And so we, I was working, I was ghost riding for this group called 100. I was ghost freestyling for 100 Watts. Uh-huh. And then uh, we recorded a song with Easy E that year in 1992 called Merry Motherfucking Christmas. It was a Christmas album. Uh-huh. And so after that, in 1993, we recorded another song called Niggas and Jews. Black I, I mean so myself my group that I was in at Bank Clan and uh Blood Abraham and Easy E niggas and Jews it's like on the, they're on the internet yeah and uh and Easy E he was so like he just gave us freedom he knew what hood I was from he was like I I nigga I, I know some people from your hood I know some OGs from your hood nigga like they 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 know your whole family nigga they told me about your whole family because my uncle played football for the Falcons. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, um, you know, that, that experience told me that if Easy e can accept me and not, and, and be open-minded to the, ta- the style of music that I wanted to make, and I didn't have to conform and, like, do gangster rap just because I'm signing a Ruthless Records. Yeah. And he's from the hood and an and a architect of, like, gangster rap music. I don't have to change for anybody. If this dude accepted me and he knows what hood I'm from, then, well, shoot, I got a pass. I could be as eclectic. I could be as, like, unique. And and I don't have to worry about fitting in. Because what, what happens is, like, very creative people feel like they have to, like, exercise just how hood they are. When there's so many different colors and different shades of, of blacks in the hood. There's a church guy in the hood. There's a, the athlete in the hood. There's the intellectual in the hood. There's the eclectic person in the hood. There's the mama's boy in the hood. And then there's the gangster in the hood. But America tells everybody that the gangster is what we all should try to be. Facts. So Easy e was like, nigga, do you. Yo, that, I didn't that. sign you to try to, like... I didn't sign you to for you to try to like, you know, do what we do. I signed you for for how creative and eclectic you were. So that that was that path. And then when I moved over to Interscope and Dre was there, Dre treated me like family because Easy put me on. <clears throat> wow, yo, when I saw that, I was like, man, that part I did not know. Um, you know, this is amazing to me because coming from Haiti and coming to America by the, uh, I think I was like either nine or 10, Marlboro Projects in Coney Island. And being in Coney Island in the projects 
at the time, which was ran by the Italian mafia, right? And I'm, so you're on one side, I'm on the other side, right? And what's deep about it is very, very similar. Not only do we have the W, right? So my first music video ever, I was 18 years old and I was an extra for Eric B and Rakim. I uh, got you again. Right? You're gonna have to run that back, right? Yeah. What song was yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> Don't sweat the technique. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so that's me with my suit and my my derby hat. This is just how I used to go to school. You know what I'm saying? And I'm playing the upright bass on the Eric B and Rakim Yo, video. that is you, bro. Look at you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what the what? Get the F out of here, bro. Yo, Man. that was my... Yo, but do you... I, I say that because we talk about the suits. And we... Yeah, boy. And we in the hood. And you see the suits. Like, I wasn't... My mom wasn't going to allow me to move no other way. So, for me, you definitely took me back um to that era and it was so funny because i needed to hear the easy e story like from your perspective because we all hear these stories and at the end of the day this, there's more similarity here coming up i was always like yeah i'm from the hood but we trying to get up out of the hood and trying to inspire the hood and bring things back to the hood and then at the end of the day I remember there was two nerds. They were from Erasmus in Brooklyn. And there was nerds in the daytime and at nighttime they robbed people. It was so crazy because similar to you, like, so we coming out and it's the score. <clears throat> and they're like, yo, how are y'all going to survive? You know, we got Biggie, we got <laughs> Jay-Z, reasonable. <laughs> and I looked, I said, dude, the hood has many authors. And I said, every author is, I said, we have scientists. We have dealers. We got pimps. You know, we got the preachers. We got. So at the end of the day, I think to your point, it was like just trying to convince people that the ghetto was just much more than that one picture that they was trying to paint in America. Right. Because yeah. all all of my friends, you know, like the feds call me H.S. for real. Haitian Sinatra. Right. Because all of my friends happen to just be gangsters coming up. I ain't no gangster. And what does the gangster tell me? Yo, Clef, keep going on that path that you went. Show show them that we more than just this in the hood. So mm-hmm. I, I'm very passionate about that story. So there's something, another synergy. I'm about to play you something that's gonna mess you up. Tell me, do you recognize this for a second? Let me push your button. Let me push your button. Let me push your button. Let me show your button. And then button. And click button. Travel like the narco. Narco got dope like. Okay, stop that. Yeah, you. So 2000, 2000. Forgot what year it was. It was like before 2010, though. You come into the studio, record plant, and we're supposed to be working on something. And, uh, and you, we're, we're like vibing out. And, uh, 
you playing me some things to start off with and you play me this one song and I'm like, yo, what the F is that? Let's do that. Yeah. And it, and it was let me push a button or something like that. I think I think that's what it was called. That's right. That we recorded. And but you was on you was on that kind of tip long ass time ago. Yo, what's funny is my daughter comes to me and she go, Dad, I think the Migos just stole you and Will I Am's record. Right? My daughter's 15 years old, right? So, <laughs> so I'm going, what record are you talking about, Gigi? And she goes and she plays Narcos, which came out years later afterwards. I was like, no. It's so crazy how she pulled the sample from the Narcos record and was like able to be like, mm. I said, no. I said, Gigi, it's called the sample. I said, whoever the producer was, they cleared. She said, are you sure they cleared it with you and Will I Am? I was like, how old are you? 15? What are you going to be? A lawyer or something? An entertainment lawyer? So <laughs> I love that session with you. My favorite part of this session was when 50 Cent came in. Do you remember? 50 came in. He said, what y'all two niggas working on? Some international stuff? This sounds like some international stuff. Because all you heard was... So that was so crazy because... um And because we was moving around, we never got time to continue. But for everybody that definitely missed it, this record right here is Will and Wyclef in the studio long long before people were saying international the sonic sounded like this is kid so this one right here is called let me touch your butt if you got your ticket to the carnival please report on the dance floor right now she says will i am white clef you're such a dodgy geezer let me touch your button, let me touch your button, let me touch your button, let me touch you, let me touch you, let me touch your button, let me touch your button, let me touch your button, let me touch you, let me touch you, let me touch your button, let me touch your button, let me touch your button, let me touch you, let me touch you, let me touch your button, 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 let me touch your button. And she goes again the witch with her body like the ocean. She yeah. in the bottom three witches with the potion in first wish help, second wish help, third wish let me push the button. Why you like the willy willy I am Y Clef Slang still got this thing to make the city bang bang. Watch out for the brothers and the military gangs and the troops back home. No more bitty bang bang. Bitty bang the bitty bang. Girl let it go just do your thing. Ring a ling a ling a ling. Alright, call me on the phone say anything. Yeah, let's go, bro. Yeah, so if they missed it, they got to go back. Um, I, I say it was so amazing just being in the studio with you. So when I was in the studio with you, I noticed something. So I really thought I was the only thug nerd until I was in the studio with you. And I noticed you with the microphone right in front of you, literally controlling the computer, controlling every part of the matrix, right? And I was like, damn, it's, it's sure me and this dude don't have the same father. Because similar to you, I was in the booger basement with Jerry and they planted me in the basement because all I wanted to do was learn the equipment. So my mm. first piece of sequencer was a Lin 9000 and a VFX. That was keyboard. mine. Dude. I learned on the Lin 9, the, I, I, learned, I learned on the Lin 900. Lin, yo, 
that was my thing. You to the point where I, I I went out and hunted down Forat, the uh, the, the uh, Bruce Forat, yeah, who helped program the Lin drum yes. machine. Yes. He had then my second piece of equipment was the was the Forat F16. Like what? Get yes. the what? Damn. Yeah. So so straight up, I, you know, and then you so the Lin literally is like a tutorial for like you know because I was drumming in the church. And um, so Khalees Bayon put me on the lens. What was crazy about it is when we was doing Killing Me Softly, you mentioned that record. Dude, I couldn't afford no Fender Roads. I'm in the Booger basement. We in New Jersey, East Orange, double line. What's good, Naughty by Nature, <laughs> right? With the crack house in the back. But I used the S900 and I MIDI the oscillator, just the tone. The 440 tone. Ooh, oscillator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chop the <laughs> oscillator, and that was the Fender Rhodes. And I didn't notice that it wasn't 440, it was like 439. And what that means to anybody who's listening is if you play with Killing Me Softly and you playing an instrument, you have to detune the instrument to play it. And my friends yeah. be like, yo, every time we play Killing Me Softly, why we detuning it? What happened to the road? I said, dude, you ain't playing a Fender Rose. You playing to an oscillator that's detuned. So I only say that to get with this nerd talk, um, which is important to me um, when it comes the, to the idea of like engineering, arts, math. I'm so about it. And I had got approached by NASA to basically sounds from Jupiter and take the sounds, they bring them back to Earth and and then um and you geek it out already and then take the sounds from space and literally bring the sonics to, to Earth and create music to show the fundamentals of how space and earth works moving forward. Mm. And I got a chance to do a record called Borrowed Time. Years before that, you literally was the first artist ever. And you're, I watched you on CNN on different, on, on, on different talks about technology way before anybody else. How do you perceive the role of tech moving forward? for young youths, you know, especially of diversity that be trying to get into the space, bro. Cause everybody ain't gonna be a rapper. They ain't gonna be a producer. They ain't gonna be, and we need them to embrace engineering, arts, math, science, the whole technology. So where do you see this is going? So I got into the tech space. Um, the best way to say it is uh, tech got into me first because I'm not a musician. I can't play the, the guitar. I can barely play the piano, the right chords, but I can't play the piano like the way our pianist plays the piano. Like, and I know my limitations, but I'm a freaking, that fucking laptop? Yo, that's what the fuck I play. I play the shit out of that laptop, bro. <laughs> like, ain't nobody better than me. Uh, at least I believe that. Like, I fucking rock the shit out of that laptop to the point where our, where our MD's like, he's a Berkeley graduate. Keith Harris plays the drums, the piano. 
He plays the bass. But when he sees me on the Pro Tools, he can't fuck with me. Like yesterday, Facts. yesterday we was had a session. Yesterday we had a session and he's like, you know there's a shortcut for that. I was like, yes, I know there's a shortcut for that. But the process, I, I don't want to abandon my process. Me actually editing this, I'm also writing my rap right now. So you may think that I'm going through like this. You you probably sympathize for me that I'm editing the audio waveform myself, but I'm writing my rap. Facts. I'm writing the chorus as I'm doing this editing. And yes, there's a shortcut, but the shortcut is really gonna gonna fuck up what I've learned to do. So when I'm editing these waveforms, I'm actually in the song. And so that's what got me into technology and then hanging out with the folks at Avid and the folks that like, you know, that help develop the product. And then going to the NAM show and seeing like all the technology and the gear and then hanging out with the Tascam folks and then asking like, yo, how much did it actually cost to make this device? Mm-hmm. Like, like, what was the development cost to make this device? Because I remember going to like, you know, big studios and, and, and working on tape and splicing tape to then like the, the Pro Tools rig and I'm recording in the box. And then like the old school heads are like, oh, I don't really like digital. I like analog. And I'm like, I, I like digital. It gives me the fucking freedom. It's freedom. And so by loving Pro Tools and loving my gear, and loving M Audio and then going up to M Audio's headquarters and seeing like, oh wow, you guys, you guys just have one thing that the hood doesn't have. And that one thing that the hood doesn't have is just that entrepreneurial, and it's just a matter of time. But for somebody in the hood's like, I'm gonna make equipment. I don't wanna play the equipment, I wanna make this shit. And I just, right. because we're competitive, we're competitive to where Lewis Hamilton, you didn't think Lewis, a black dude was going to, you know, in, in 1990, you didn't think there was going to mm-hmm. be a, a black, you know, champion and, 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 and motor racing. Like you didn't know F1 was going to be like a dude, a black dude yeah, winning all it. the races. Killing it. <laughs> like in 1970, you didn't know that there was going to be a Tiger Woods. In 1970, yes, Arthur asked, but she didn't know that, you know, the, the Williams sisters were going to just dominate. Yes, facts, talk. And and if you were Panasonic headphones or Sony headphones, you didn't know Beats was just going to come and take your lunch. Facts. And so so in 2007, in 2004, Black Eyed Peas, we, you know, we were just trying to get on. You know, we're not like when you think of like I'm a black dude. But when you think of Black Eyed Peas, we mm-hmm. got so big that, and it hurts, it kind of hurt my, it still hurts a little bit. Like we're not considered a black group because we got that big. And, 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 and when you think of Black Eyed Peas, you don't think of, it's no longer like urban or black culture, which is, which is, which is, uh, it's not good for the black community that black eyed peas is not looked at as a, a a black group because we've had international success and that should be that should be credited to the black community <clears throat> more so than letting it be adopted but that that's just a a thing that 
we suffer from all the time. Like when you think of jazz, you no longer think of black anymore. When you think of rock and roll, you don't think of black anymore. Like that, all that, I just, I, I don't know why we have that. When you think of uh, even country, you don't think of black. Like a lot of the things that we create and we invent, we dispose of or it gets stolen from us to the point where there's no association to its origins. Um, so to answer your question, I, I, it's a matter of time before someone from Haiti, there's some kid that's 15 years old, that's a nerd, that's going to make an app that changes Haiti forever. And that person is going to want to keep the company in Haiti. There's a, uh, yes, a matter of time before, you know, Watts has changed forever because some, you know, young girl, black or Latina, wants to compete and has the audacity to compete with Facebook. Sometimes having those audacious, like, attempts end up being, like, monumental. And there's nothing wrong with audacity sometimes to do something to compete outside of your realm. And and what got me into technology was that iPod commercial in 2004. Jimmy and our manager um, was like, there's this iPod commercial. I was like, what's an iPod? Apple's new product. They got this thing called iTunes. I'm working on it with, you know, they got me, I brought over the, the universal catalog there. And they're looking for a commercial. You should think, you should consider your song being for the commercial. So I'm like, how much, how much they paying? They're not paying anything. I'm like, well, Dr. Pepper just gave us $500,000 to do that commercial. That's how I moved my mom out the projects from a Dr. Pepper commercial. Back in 19, back in 2001, that's how I moved my mom out the projects. Dr. Pepper commercial. But then hip hop on, on OK Player, like they dissed us. They were like, Black Eyed Peas. You know, you doing that that Dr. Pepper commercial. Dr. Pepper ain't the hip hop drink. Sprite is. I'm like, what? Tribe Called Quest had a Sprite commercial. Yeah. P Rock and Seal Smooth had that Sprite commercial. But I was like, yo, but Five Dogs said drink a lot of soda, so they call me Dr. Pepper though. So like, how come that's not hip hop drink? And like, uh, uh, Buster Rhyme got the Mountain Dew commercial. I was like, nigga, Dr. Pepper is helping me move my mom out the projects, okay? That's right. <laughs> and so when we did that uh, iPod commercial, I was like, just asking questions. I just asked questions like, yo, how much it costs to make this iPod? Like, what, what was the cost? And, uh, and when I found out, like, you know, it, it costs like $5 billion at the most to develop a product. And and you think about the media buy, what they pay the artists, if they pay the artists. And I told myself, if I, if I ever have disposable money like that, I want to develop my own product. That has always been my dream because I've seen what computers do, what it's done for me, what computers have done for like my artistry, being able to take care of my family and move them, not just my mom, but then eventually my aunts, my grandma, my uncles, my cousins. We had a whole like migration off the projects and uh, technology was that was was the Calvary was a helicopter um, um, for me to be able to transport migrate out of the hood. But and so so from the iPod commercial came Verizon from the Verizon commercial came like 
a Best Buy spot. From the Best Buy spot, we did a Nokia tour in, in 2000. It happened all from 2004 to 2006. So I came back from tour and I told Jimmy, yo, Jimmy, we need to make our own hardware. What do you mean we need to make our own hardware? What are you talking about, Will? We need to make our own hardware and use our music to sell our own shit. Well, you know what? You know why they call it hardware? Because it's hard. I was like, I know. <laughs> I know. But what's hard is getting out the projects. That's actually hard, Jimmy. Making hardware is not hard. What's hard is like Dr. Dre, Easy e That's hard. Making hardware is not hard. You've already done the impossible by taking Dre and wrestling with freaking like dragons and shit, literally from Bloods and Crips and pr providing a safe passage for, for the Snoops and the Dre's and all the other folks on your right. That's hard, bro. Making technology is not. Okay, well, all right. So two years uh, later, he's like, why don't we do headphones with Dre? I've been thinking about this word beats. You want to be a part of it? Making hardware was your idea in the first place. I'm like, I was talking about phones and computers, though. We'll eventually get to that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm down. What you need me to do? I just need your brain. I need your way out the box thinking. I'm like, awesome. So I, if we could do beats, and that, that was like a gift and then a curse for a minute because like that type of success makes you not value music the way like beats made me like it, it made me chase this other dream of yeah. around technology and for like eight years we took a break like mm -hmm. an eight year break is suicidal like how do you come back from an eight year sleep mm -hmm. and so and what got us out of that eight year slumber and have success again in pop culture was the Latin community and so the Latin community is like some other shit and I want to, I just want to, because I never told you this, you're one of the architects to what is the biggest form of music right now in the fucking world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't really like big you up for, you know, you know, hips don't lie. They don't, they don't big you up for the fucking blueprint. <laughs> like you, you... You set the blueprint of what, and this is what success is for this form of music. Yeah, that's love, my man. Well, young brother, you have grown to be very, very wise, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, Clef, like, I was right. listening to, like, you know, and, and before it was Shakira's, that was your thing. Yeah, and you know, coming from Haiti... We have Santo Domingo, we have Cuba, we have Puerto Rico. So naturally, for me, I've never understood when someone would come to me where I came from and they would say, this is not hip hop. This is hip hop. Similar to y'all, we had to fight the same fight, right? Because... Fuji's, I was like, we're going to be a band. We're going to play instruments. Like, look at the Rolling Stones. Look at the Beatles. Like, yeah, I'm from the projects, but we know who Pink Floyd is. We about to pick up, we, we about to play this Jimi Hendrix. And what I want you to look at, Will, 
When I got involved in the Latin movement, it was Evie Queen. The first, one of the first females ever to like flip the whole reggae tongue thing and everything. By the time I got to Celia Cruz, it was so important to actually bring her into the studio. Cause for me, Latin music is just part of the culture. Like where I come from in the globe, it's like soca, reggae, Latin, you know, salsa, merengue. So for me, um, first of all, congratulations because what y'all doing in the Latin community is amazing. But listening to your story of where you came from as a young youth and your influence is different. You go and get embraced, right? So, so one of my secrets in the closet, I've always been like a closet DJ since a kid. I specialize in what's called blend tapes, right? Mm-hmm. So, Bob Marley don't have a Grammy. He was at the garden opening up for one of the biggest groups. And at the time, they didn't consider him urban. Jimi Hendrix left here, went to London and laid down. Hey, Joe, where you going with that gun in your hand? Right? Dude, I'm here to defy all of that and to say fuck everybody that ever assumed that when I did Kenny Rogers with Pharaoh Marsh, that that wasn't hip hop because I was mashing up country with that. Fuck everybody that say, if you from the hood, you not supposed to know who the hell Pink Floyd is. Fuck anybody that is in telling people from the hood, you can't be the next Gershwin. You can't be the next Quincy Jones because at the end of the day, when we move forward, it's one world. When I look at the black IPs and I look at the Fujis, all I could look at is you in the studio as a creator and me in the studio as a creator. And if I ever put it together in one space and place, this is what it would have sounded like if we all was in the same mm-hmm. group.
Ever heard the blues play through harmonicas? Man, hard coded in Antarctica. Wonder why we rise like we fought again. 'Cause we want what's just and this ain't what it is. King had a dream and it took him out. They did the same to Kennedy and the Jock Child. Ooh, child, things ain't getting better. Last is here comes the rapture. My daughter 15 and she 'bout to cross the bridge. Her and her mama got a mask sitting on their face. Gotta keep the hope like a money slogan. When one door is closed, another will open. Yo, so that's from dope. one thug nerd to another, that's like me showing you how much I appreciate you and how much I understand you. And I look forward to whatever's the next thing you're about to bring to the culture, my little bro. And um, may no, the Lord be with seriously, you. Clef, I just want to say like, you know, a taboo. Taboo, my best friend, who I was in a group with, who, who I'm in the group with, he was he uh, was diagnosed with cancer in 2014, and he beat it, and he wanted to get the group back together, but we were never broken up, so we just were on pause, and we were on pause, not knowing if we were going to return as a trio or a quartet, mm -hmm. and we wanted to be a we wanted to be a quartet. Because we wanted to honor the form that the world uh, catapulted us mm -hmm. to a different level, and um, and so we were patiently waiting to be the quartet. So when 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 the chips fell and told us that we had to return as a trio, we once again the same path, the path that got us from. After that Smoke and Grooves tour, when Jimmy's like, "Turn in the score," and then we went in the studio and wrote songs like "Rap Song" and, and uh, "With You," and although that record didn't like, wasn't it wasn't the the score Jimmy was looking for. It was the direction that pushed us to then make "Where's the Love" and "Ella Funk," yeah. and you know, not everything's supposed to happen at right when you want it. Sometimes you have to like go in that motion. And then, and then figure out the science of the motion that you're in to really uh, to have momentum. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the motion, and then we took that motion and and uh, and created momentum, and that momentum will then bring a movement. So you have to have motion to create momentum, and the momentum to have to have a movement. So we eventually got to that movement um, uh, and on Elephant, but. But it was that it was that that path, the path that you know that we saw with the score, and then what 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 gave us the ability to re, to have a resurgence and revitalize our brand and have success at 45 as a trio, 
when no one thought was possible. Imagine you, imagine it's three dudes and you were vibey and then you bring a, bring the girl in and it's like, it's all huge. Everybody naturally is going to say it's the girl. She's the reason why they're successful. And so talk. And even though it's the songs, the songs are the reason why. And yes, she played a huge role and we love her for the role she played. But if the song sucked, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have nothing. That's right. So it's, it's, so it's both. It's equal. It's like 50, 50, um, or 60, 40, depending on how good the song is. Um, but here we are at 45, a trio, all the odds are against us. Then there's that blueprint. And I just want to thank you for that blueprint. Not just for me, but everyone else that is, that is, uh, you know, been able to take care of their families and see their dreams come true. You know, it's even not just your blueprint, but then like all the folks that came from the Caribbean, you know, yeah. imitation of my maxi, da 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 a bunch of rope. That beat, that rhythm What's is that? the foundation to reggaeton. Big up Jamaica, see? Yeah. You know? And like, there's something beautiful about that island and the combination and I, and I, and all prayers, all hopes that Haiti and Dominica, that's the black and brown thing. And it's sad that there's a separation, but the together is, is something beautiful about black and brown. And when I think of like Haiti, I also think about the island that it shares just on the other side with the DR. Um, but but thank you for that blueprint. Thank you the, the whole Latin world and the open-minded folks that that that, that want to collaborate and their managers that you got to think. I got to think about the managers too because the managers could have been like, "You sure you want to work with the Black Eyed Peas? That was that was ten years ago, <laughs> and ten years is a long time, bro. Yeah. That's like that's like." That's like you a bubbling act and you hot right now and then like the OJs wanna work with you and shit. <laughs> that's like that's like you fucking That's like fucking Yo, talk uh, your talk, nigga. <laughs> that's like I'm like, nigga, are we the OJs? Like, oh shit, man. Okay, we gotta figure out a way we gotta figure out the path. So Will, I need you to do me a favor because you the you're the the you're my music guy. If you was to take us out with one record, something we should be put us on, up on some music. What 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 what's the last song I should play, real quick to take us out? From uh from from, from just anywhere in the world uh, from Any, the world. Yeah, whatever you want to do, just give me one song to take me out. It's called Girl Like Me. Yo, you already know, man. Girl Like Me, and y'all gonna have to run that back and back. I love you. And once the quarantine finish, I look forward to be in a jamming room with you with the Pro Tools. I got the guitar on one side. Let's see what happens.
Yo, you know it'd be dope if we did like a black food, a black refuge, a Fuji P, and you and I, like you, you for Fujis, I'm me from Black Eyed Peas, and we just find the girl and make a whole freaking project. Like yo, after you played that song, I'm like yo, Fuji P or Black Black Refuge? Like what the what? What that be like? Yo, that would yo, be could- crazy. Dude, listen, from one nerd to another, just find the girl. I'm ready. <laughs> Call Jimmy. Tell you know Jimmy what I mean? Like, find the girl. <laughs> that'd be crazy. She'd have to sing and like rap her ass off though. Like, but guess where right, I think cool, she's I'll, gonna be I'll, coming I'll, from? Guess where I think she's gonna come from? Africa. Yo. I'm telling yo, you. Now that'd be. Watch. That'd All right, so we put in the call right dope. now. The new group, we just launched it. The two producers, the two nerds. Yo, Africa, let's look at Africa. Nigeria, Ghana, them places, them. Let's go. Let's look to our, all right, my king. I love you. Love you too, Clef. All right, baby. Bye now. Shorty, you guarantee to be hypnotized by the remix that Wyclef provide. I don't care about your size. Girl, shake your thighs. All I'm trying to do in the hood is stay alive. I'm going to put you up on Ida Tulu from Norway, the North, Trumpster. I feel like every time I'm talking about Ida, like I'm in a Game of Thrones movie. She has a song called Stay Away. comments there's a lot of reference going on like yo she give me a shot day vibe wow and what do i like about Ida's voice it's soothing like an old school shot day but she just happened to barely be 20 if that makes sense the way that she writes right i don't know if that's how they write from the north but it has this eurythmics like pattern to it. It, it, it really, um, the way she takes these long notes and moves them, like the way we used to move. It's something that's pretty incredible about that. Also, I think her mom is Norwegian and her pop is from Africa, if I'm not mistaken, Lagos. Dangerous combination, musically, soulfully, so. My recommendation when you're listening to this, make sure you got somebody you could groove with too, because it's mad sexy. Let's get into it. Hi, White Class. What's up, Maddie? I'm not going to even lie to you. Like, whew. Like, I am, I really had a hangover. Really? Yes. What were you doing last night? Um, I was, uh, drinking. And I'm not a drinker. The good thing about when you're not a drinker and you actually drink. Yeah. It really affects you, which is kind of cool. So. There is a song that recently reached 
number one across every genre. Now, there's a tremendous amount of controversy around this song, not because it reached number one in every genre, but mm. because of the content of the song. Okay. Okay, now this song, I've heard some people pronouncing it WAP. I've heard some people pronouncing it WAP. But either way you pronounce it, WAP is an acronym. Okay. For wet ass pussy. Okay. Okay. I don't see any shock yet. I was going I mean, for shock how, and awe. How would you go to shock? I was raised on two live crew. I'm still waiting for the punchline. I'm yeah. glad you said that. Okay. I'm like, so, huh? This song. Fuck that pussy. <laughs> Dude, really? Like, go ahead. Keep going. This song, Wet Ass Pussy, is done by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. I love this song, by the way. This, it starts off with, there's some hoes in this house, there's some hoes in this house. Okay. And then it goes into Cardi B explaining all of the things that she would like to have done to her. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Megan the Stallion doing the same. At some one point, Cardi says, I want you to hit that thing that dangles in the back of my throat. And I'm like, ooh, okay, Cardi. Mm -hmm. So, Lots of people take offense to the content of the song. Mm -hmm. Some women, some men. I've seen lots of people, though, posting things in defense of the song. Mm -hmm. And one thing I saw in particular was um, somebody that I actually love and look up to for the way she supports the black community, Tamika Mallory. Okay. Tamika put up a post and in that post, she proceeded to leave quotes from some male hip hop artists over the years that as far as we know, nobody was screaming that they took offense to. I would like to first read you a few of those and then I would like to know why you're not on this list because I am beyond positive that there are some questionable lyrics in some Y-Club songs back in the day. But let me just read you some examples so you could know, you know, what I'm looking uh, for. I mean, probably one of those songs would be Perfect Gentleman. It's one of the original go-go songs that I wrote. Um, uh, that definitely for sure. Well, let, let's, My let's, wife hates that song, by the way, but keep going. I want to find out why in a minute. So here we go. <clears throat> Kendrick Lamar. I didn't even know some of these lyrics. Kendrick Lamar. I did know this one. Girl, I know you want this, dude. We all love and respect Kendrick, but he definitely said that. Nas on... Actually, I don't know which Nas song this was. Honey spreaded that asshole like a wide mouth bass. Yeah. Jay-Z. I don't love him, I fuck him, don't chase him, I duck him, replace him with another one. I remember those lyrics. And then Notorious B.I.G., whom I also love. Some say the ex makes the sex spectacular. Make me lick you from your neck to your back. <laughs> You're shivering, tongue delivering. All these lyrics are just as nasty as anything that you might consider nasty. Maddie, listen, I really, lot. I thought, you know what I thought you was going to say? 
all of this stuff still sound like 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 um censored to me. I thought you was gonna be like, I could Nelly. Put it in your mouth. <laughs> in your motherfucking mouth. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm just telling you like that one you that want, one wasn't on the post. What? But I'm just showing you if you wanna go there and everybody at Jones Beach that are listening to this at the time knew. Male and female, we always jam into that. So um go ahead, what's your question? So then so first I want to hear about the Wyclef lyrics and then I want to get into, you know, why people are offended now that women are brave enough to talk about these kinds of things. Okay. First thing I want to say, women has always been brave enough from the gate. There have been some, yes. We, we, if we look back, we've had some of the most amazing women, Grace Jones, right? So like Grace Jones, like, you know, it, so think about it. She set the bar and set the standard in a way like we've seen that, right? We've also seen Madonna. Oh, right? wow. So Madonna has, you know, she's pushed. I remember like at one time, like the Vatican was warring with Madonna. That's like that, what she was that's doing, that. right? Remember that? That's true. Yes. So um, I say that to say that and then you said something interesting you say yo how come a Wyclef lyrics ain't is not on there right 10 grand you know let me see you shake it you know um 20 grand you know like it's the idea of just because she dances go go it don't make her a hoe Maxine Pujere she's on we going to the disco we gonna I think that what we have to look at is every author Mm -hmm. every performer every creative has a way that they express their art. Right. And you have two choices. You either could love it or hate it. Right. That's all your opinion, right? So at the end of the day, I, I don't have a debate for someone that is to come to me and be like, yo, you know, this Cardi B WAP song is appalling. Like, I have no debate for them. Mm-hmm. That's their opinion. And then, but if they ask me, yo, did you see the video? I'm going to be like, yeah, 100 times, right? (laughs) So that's my opinion. You get what I'm saying to you. But I do think that what we do have to do is the idea of creative Mm -hmm. and constantly making sure that um, creative has that space and that opportunity. There's something that's called like there's nothing new under the sun, right? And I'm going to tell you, before Cardi, before uh, uh, Mrs. Stallion did this, um, Little Kim. Big time. Little Kim and Heather Hunter. Remember the video? Yeah, I do. Yeah, so at the end of the day, it's art. Like, so w- once again, people have, so sexuality mm-hmm. is an expression. Mm-hmm. And it's very important. So nine times out of 10, people are thinking it, right? That's right. And they're, they're imagining things, but they're not bold enough to either say it but or I show it. But I actually think they are bold enough to even say it. And that's, okay. so I've seen some women be extremely prudish about this song. And I'm thinking to myself, and look, I could be wrong, but I'm thinking to myself as I've seen some of this, that some of these women in their most intimate time 
in their bedroom with their man, they are not referring to their private parts as their vagina. Mm. They up here acting like they so offended by this P word and they know, they know they're using the P word in the bedroom. That's all. Yeah. So, but but what happened is to the debate of the woman that's using the P word in the bedroom, to her point, she's just saying, I rather keep it private. private. Right. And once again, that's your prerogative, yep. Bobby Brown. Yep. But you caught that? That's a bar. That's your prerogative, <laughs> Bobby Brown. But Cardi B, the same prerogative you have, Megan, yeah, Cardi, they have, the prerogative have that to exact it. same that's right. Um, prerogatives. That's, That's right. They right. have that. Yeah. And so, and, you know, I guess my, one of my last points on this is it bothers me too that people would be okay with the way men objectify us and portray us in songs. Some of these lyrics that I've read and many, many others to like crew definitely being, uh, one group that had several songs it, it feels like their career was like built on songs that objectify women and don't one get me thing wrong, i'm gonna do i love some of these songs okay, what that i would like about. what i would like to do in this conversation is protect the authors and yeah the authors are entitled to bring forth self-expression right i so, agree to I your agree. point when we're watching a film yeah um okay i'm gonna give you a prime example so the Fuji's, the group, the mm-hmm. score. When we was coming, a lot of people was like, yo, y'all ain't going to survive, man, because y'all heard of somebody called Jay-Z mm-hmm. and someone called Biggie Smalls. Like, they come, the lyrics, they come, and you heard Illmatic Clef? Like, yo, y'all better, don't even, like, sugarcoat it, man. Like, you better just stay straight up. And Newark, I done sold some crack. Like, let them know, like, let them know you got a shot again right away. Now, when you put ready to die against ready or not, mm-hmm. if you were to break the lyrics down, we're not saying nothing different, right? Which means every, authors have different ways that they express themselves. Yeah. So whether if I tell you, now that I escape, sleep, walk, or wake, those who could relate know the world ain't cake. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break when they meet they 400 pound mate. You know what happens in jail, right? You meet your 400. If I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun. And the ghetto, of course, when Gidi up and on their horse. I kick a rhyme drinking moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete for the deceased. No, don't weep. While Clef's in a state of sleep, think about the robbery that I did last week. Now, who the fuck is this? Paging me at 546 in the morning. Cacodonian. Now I'm yawning. What the cool? You know, it's... See, so it was again, right? So different. <laughs> exactly. So this is what makes the culture incredible. Yeah. And this is why hip-hop can never be censored, right? It could never be put in a space. It could never be in a mode, right? Because what it is, right, if you really look at it, what it is, right, is the author paints, whether if they know if they're doing it consciously or subconsciously, they just paint a reality. Yes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying to you? Yes. And that's it. Yes, they're painting the picture of their reality. And I guess, and that's, my point is, we, we we don't censor objectification when it comes to men doing it. And again, I go back to, I love some of these songs. 
some of them I actually didn't really know all the lyrics to until I started getting into this. Um, but some of them I did. And I would, I've been singing those lyrics for years and not being offended by them. And so... And then another we thing should I take the say. same stand when it comes to a woman expressing herself and what she likes and what she wants and what she's going to do to her man. Missy Elliott. Damn. You know, I'm going to keep throwing them out. Yes, man. Please, like, but please keep throwing them out. I so, love it. Right. So once again, Missy Elliott, because you're literally I keep going, holy shit, because I keep, you know, I think that women have those women have been bold. And they have been loud and they have been saying things. And I think that um, when you see Cardi and Stallion, it should really take you back on how long women are have been expressing their art. And they're letting you know that they're not going to be censored. You're not going to shut them out. And it's only going to keep getting crazier in a good way. Agree. In a very good way. All right. So in the video... <laughs> Somebody is in the right business because sex toys sell. Yeah. And Cardi B is wearing uh, big breasts. Did you see that in the video? She she has big breasts. Yeah. Oh, so it wasn't like a toy breast in the video? It was actual Cardi B real breasts in the Those video? Those are her boobs. And then she's got like those little things on her boobs. Yeah, the, the little the things dang. is the toys. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. So toys sell. So what I'm saying is at the end of the day, all of the young entrepreneurs that are listening right now. Yeah. Um, think out of the box. Watch that video again. Thank you, Madeline Nelson. Thank you. Thank you for having me yet on another week of Run That Back. Okay. E-F-U-G-E. CD from Sam Goody, you ain't even close with the rhymes that you wrote. Don't be mad because you broke. Let me clear my throat. If death comes for me tonight, girl, I want you to know that I loved you. And no matter how tough I would have been, only to you, I would reveal my tears. Tell the police I ain't home tonight Messing around with you is gonna get me life But when I look into your eyes You worth the sacrifice Acoustic but why clef, you know? If this is the kind of love that my mom used to warn me about, I'm in trouble. I'm in real bad trouble. If this is the kind of love that the old folks used to warn me about, I'm in trouble. I'm in real bad trouble. I can't call no 911. All they do is shoot us down to the ground and it's piercing through my soul. Yeah, I feel my body getting cold. So cold, so cold, so cold, so cold. I can't call no 911. Cause all they do is shoot us down 
to the ground and it's piercing to my soul. Yeah, feel my body getting cold, so cold, so cold. All right, before I leave, y'all know I want to do a toast to why Clef. Oh no, I just messed up. I mean, we do have an identity problem. This is my little brother. Will I am one of my greatest inspirations because they always say, you know, to find inspiration, you can't just look at yourself. You have to go beyond yourself and see the youth. So Will I am, I love you. I respect you as a brother. You already know putting up that toast and I look forward to whatever band we're going to create in the future. Love you, my brother. <laughs>